0: Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Our enemies act without conscience. We must not. What happens when a democracy stoops to using torture as an instrument of war? Torture's failure to serve its intended purpose isn't the main reason to oppose its use. It's about who we were, who we are, and who we aspire to be. Does torture even have a
1: place in a democracy?
0: Oh, I'm not talking about the actual country. I'm talking about the idea of America. (laughs) The idea of America would never torture. Isn't torture for tyrants and terrorists?
2: When someone or some group is trying to destroy you and your way of life, you need to do whatever it takes to stop them.
1: What's wrong with a little torture between sworn enemies?
0: Yeah, Washington tortured the British so hard, they're still talking funny.
1: Our guest is Darius Rijali, author of Torture and Democracy.
0: When democracy is torture. This government does
3: not torture people.
1: Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything.
0: Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry.
1: And I'm Ken Taylor. (laughs) We're here at the studios of Oregon Public Broadcasting in Portland.
0: We're continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford University. That's where Ken teaches philosophy and I taught philosophy for 40 years. And today we're thinking about what happens when democracies... Torture. Well, can philosophical discussions about torture tend to focus on two things? First, is torture, any particular case of torture, ever morally justified? And if so, if you can find such a case, should, should these exceptions somehow be reflected in the law? Yeah, John, you know,
1: yeah, philosophers like to focus in, on extreme cases, torture the terrorist, or let the bomb go off and injure hundreds, maybe thousands of innocents.
0: Uh, Sam Harris, in his essay, In Defense of Torture, called these ticking bomb cases. So imagine the bomber sitting in your custody— gloating about the imminent explosion and magnitude of human suffering it will cause. Harris thinks that by subjecting this unpleasant fellow to torture... That may just be justifiable if it can prevent the bomb going off. Yeah, yeah, there's
1: lots of writing about this. Lots of people talk about it. We talked about it with Alan Dershowitz a while ago. Remember that? He argued that there are justifiable cases of torture. He even suggested that the law should encode these extreme circumstances. But, you know, I I, got to tell you, to my mind, the whole discussion— uh, along this line, really misses a more important and more pressing issue. All right. And that would be? Well, just think about how this whole ticking time bomb thing goes. It presupposes already that torture is basically an unjustifiable evil to be avoided at all cost. And then it's the interesting philosophical question supposed to be whether we can find exceptional
0: circumstances in which maybe it's morally OK. So – you're saying that presupposition, the evil of torture, that 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 isn't widely accepted. Well, it depends on what you mean by widely accepted. If you judge widely accepted by what people do uh,
1: and take that to be a guide to what they believe, well, then no, torture is not forbidden. It's it's widespread. It's an everyday practice. In fact,
0: well, you mean in tyrannies, in Nazi Germany, or maybe in even present day Russia, or. Or maybe Syria, places like that. Oh, John, that's kind of wishful thinking. That's not what I
1: mean. I mean in democracies. I mean right here in the good old U.S. of A. or Japan or India or France or Israel. And I'm not just talking about the distant past. I'm talking about now, today. I'm not, and I'm not just talking in distant, far away places like Abu Ghraib or Guantanamo. I'm talking about prisons. Police stations, places throughout this land, particularly in neighborhoods where high-priced lawyers are, you know, not likely to show their
0: fannies? Well, surely torture is more common in tyrannies than in democracies, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you might think that, but there's actually—I don't think there's any evidence to support that at all. What is true— is that democracies favor types of torture that are easier to hide and harder to prove. They try and do it more in secret. They don't want to leave any bad marks.
0: Well, I suppose we're better at coming up with euphemisms, too, like enhanced interrogation <laughs> now, techniques. Now you're,
1: now you're getting what I'm talking about, John. That's exactly right.
0: Well, that's pretty awful, Ken. I'm, let's assume your facts are right. So where does philosophy come in? Are you going to defend the use of torture by democracies and then I get to say what's wrong with it?
1: <laughs> no, no such luck, John. I'm not, going to give you, I'm not going to give you that kind of false hope that you might actually finally win an argument with me. That's not going to happen. I, I, I think what we need to do is to try to articulate why democracies, especially liberal democracies, ought not to torture. And and when I'm talking about liberal democracy, I'm not talking about liberal as opposed to conservative. I mean a system that's largely democratic and also is based on people having basic rights and basic dignity.
0: Yeah, but isn't that just going to lead us right back to the ticking bomb case, the kind of case where we got an argument in favor of torture even for a, you know— consciously democratic, liberal democracy?
1: It might lead us back there eventually, but we're not going to start there with that automatic presupposition. We're going to start someplace
0: else. So so where should we start?
1: Well, I think we need to start at the other end. Let's think about it. What is torture? It's one among all kinds of coercive inducements that the state has. I mean, we offer people are offered plea bargains. We let them stew in jail, hoping to break them down, break their will. We offer would-be informants monetary inducements. We do all kinds of things to coercively induce yeah, people. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But but
1: torture intrinsically, it's so much worse. Yeah. Okay. I I, I, I that's a that's a, an intuition. But we're philosophers. We want to get beneath that intuition. We want to understand what it is that makes torture worse than any other uh, uh, coercive inducements. And only then, only when we understand that, we'll be in a position to consider like, the legitimacy of torture in the ticking time bomb case or stuff like that. That's what I think.
0: Okay, Ken, you're pretty persuasive. So where are we going to start?
1: Well, I think one place we should start is not with the odds, but let's start with the facts. We know that the U.S. has tortured prisoners of war. And so we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantari, out to find out what torture looks like in the land of the free and the home of the brave. She files this report.
3: In November 2001, a man was seized from his parents' house in Mauritania, a country in North Africa. He was sent to a prison in Jordan for eight months and then shipped off to the Guantanamo Bay detention camp. His name is Mohamedou Ould slahi He's never been charged with a crime, and he's still in Guantanamo today. Mohamedou was born to a very poor family, but he was a very smart kid. Excellent grades, spoke five different languages, and won a scholarship to study electrical engineering in Germany. Then in the early 1990s, Mohamedou joined Al-Qaeda.
1: Like many young men, he had gone to Afghanistan as a student to join the fight against the communist government of Afghanistan.
3: That's Larry Seams. He's the editor of Guantanamo Dreams, a memoir about Mohamedou's life in prison.
1: But as he's said repeatedly, he broke all ties after the communist government collapsed and the various Mujahideen factions started shooting each other. Mohamedou essentially said, I'm out.
3: But it was too late. He'd been in Al-Qaeda. Mohamedou was captured a few years later. Here's an excerpt from his memoir, read by actor Stephen Fry.
0: The two guys grabbed me roughly, and since I couldn't walk on my own, they dragged me on the tips of my toes to the boat. Move! I can't move! They gave this order, knowing that I was too hurt to be able to move. After all, I was bleeding from my mouth, my ankles, my wrists, and maybe my nose. I couldn't tell for sure.
3: Nancy Hollander is Mohamedou's lawyer. She says Mohamedou was clearly tortured. There's just no other way to describe what they did.
2: While he was on the boat he's blindfolded and they would just hit him randomly and there's nothing more terrorizing than not knowing as he puts it when the next smash is going to come because you, you can't
3: anticipate it. This same method was used by the Nazis during World War II. U.S. interrogators also had something called the frequent flyer program. They would keep
2: people awake So he was interrogated sometimes 24 hours a day with rotating shifts and never allowed to sleep. And this went on for 70 days on two different occasions. It doesn't take long for lack of sleep to make you pretty
3: crazy. After beatings, they would stick ice cubes into Muhammadu's clothes.
0: Every once in a while, one of the guards smashed me, most of the time in the face. The ice served both for the pain and for wiping out the bruises I had from that afternoon. Everything seemed to be perfectly prepared. There is nothing more terrorizing than making somebody expect to smash every single heartbeat.
3: In 2010, a federal judge ordered Mohamedou's release from Guantanamo prison. But the U.S. government is fighting the order.
2: It sickens me that this country that has a good, solid criminal justice system just isn't using that system, and that the Obama administration, which we counted on to get us out of this horrible quagmire, has not done it. We now know how we got into all of this, but we don't seem to have a clue in this country how to get out of it. And so it just continues. In
3: his memoir, Mohamedou writes, has the American democracy passed the test it was subjected to after the 2001 terrorist attacks? What do the American people think? I would like to believe that the majority of Americans want to see justice done. But Mohamedou is still waiting for his justice from inside Guantanamo's prison walls. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari.
1: You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.